Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of the F1 Show for coverage of the Singapore Grand Prix from Singapore. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and it's easy when it's a city and a country all wrapped up in one, because there's a really city state, no other place you could be in Singapore except Singapore, and right. of course, so it's the Marina Circuit, I guess, um, which is in Singapore. Anyway. Yes. I um, mean, what, so that's interesting, though, because it's Monaco in Monte Carlo, technically, isn't mm-hmm. isn't it? So it is... There's four boroughs of uh, Monaco, and, and I think Monte the, the Carlo track, is the one that is... Yeah, is, and the track actually touches two of them, because it's the, they're that small. But it's not that. It's Singapore. Right. And it is... I mean, this is kind of, you know, the next the next most Monaco track to Monaco, um, in that it's a street circuit. It's a lot of, of tight, twisty corners, but it's a much longer track. I thought you were going to try to use Monaco as an adverb as well, or an adjective. I don't know if you put it against the verb or the noun, but it was like a Monaco-y Monaco. Yeah. Well, it is. It's the next most Monaco, Monaco. It's like it's like they took Valencia and Monacoed it. <laughs> yeah, I could I could kind of roll with that, which clearly is an improvement over just Valencia. Yes. So maybe they should Monaco Valencia. They should Monaco lots of tracks, I think, except Monza. <laughs> they should they should Monza a few tracks as well. Ooh, ooh, and it just kind of makes sense. And you if know? you spa one or two. That's that's never really done anyone any harm either. That kind of kind of sounds like uh, spay, though. Yeah, and you don't want to spay anything. Wow. So <laughs> two minutes into the show, and we're down a rat hole. But no, we did have. Um, it's been obviously uh, two weeks since our our, our Monza coverage and the uh, delightful race at Monza. Sort of a classic. Just strategies and on-track battles and passing and so on. And, and we, we had... didn't even go pizza that time. We had a nice linguine and clams. You had a calzone. We had some good stuff. I don't know if that's an Italian accent at all or not. But not really. It was a. It was a. It was a very pleasant evening altogether. It was nice. And we are also looking forward to uh, a tasty Singapore uh, sort of cuisine after this. But first, yes, we should talk about the race. Oh yeah, sure. So. Uh, we had, you know, there's there's the strategy element a little bit in terms of a couple of guys starting on different tires and, and going back and forth. But with the uh, the track layout and pit lane speed limit and everything that is, that's in place in Singapore, this is a big penalty for taking a pit stop. It's like a 30-second delta, where sometimes it's only about 20 seconds you actually well, lose by going through the pit lane. I had to be reminded that they have a 60-kilometer-an-hour speed limit through there. It's just crawling. I mean, just, 36-ish miles an hour, basically. That is so slow. Absolutely. So, yeah, just like you said, it's 30 seconds, a full 30 seconds through there for an average stop. And that is, you know, a good five to seven seconds longer than the other tracks uh, on the calendar. So uh, it it certainly plays into uh, pit strategy. But the other side of that coin is they brought the softs and the super softs to Singapore. Because it is still a tight, twisty track. There are lots of low-speed corners, and they need just lots of grip like that. And uh, yeah, so there's, when the overhead shots, when you could see the cars going down the pit lane as so slow as they as they were, and and as you mentioned, uh, they don't even sound like F1 cars. The engines are revving so slowly; it's just kind of a weird. Uh, it's like you rarely ever hear them at that lower of a rev range. Um, but just seeing the cars stream by on the front straight just must be painful. Just you know, uh, you know, everyone's kind of got to cycle through pit stops yep, and all that. Yep. But just you know, hearing these cars just whiz past you and you're just going you know 35 miles an hour. Not a good place to get a drive-through penalty. No, I would say I think it would be very you'd be very hard pressed to make you know, three or even four trips to the pit lane and still actually come out and do okay in this race. Yes, absolutely. But before we get to that, we've got plenty to talk about from Friday and Saturday. Absolutely. Really, free practice was relatively straightforward, except for the fact that the track couldn't hold it, uh, hold together. 
the strips that make up the apex of the corner, kind of the curbing, was falling apart, and they ended up cutting free practice one short by half an hour. Yeah, it was a little bit wild. There's like kind of they bolt it down into the track, and a lot of times we don't get to see uh, behind the scenes and kind of how these things get prepared. And we, you know, we sort of assume you go to a racetrack and there's curbs and that's part of the track, and you know, they have to think about that. But yeah, in this case, uh, you know, like we had that drain cover at Monaco last year, and some some little right, bits of the track right. they just kind of creep in to affect things. Thankfully, that's part of what's good about this happening during practice as it was just practice session. This didn't affect the qualifying in the race, um, you know, in the, any kind of a right. real some meaningful of, well, way. Some of it did in, this, in the slight sense that the solution for some of the curbing was to just pull it out and it wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it did affect it, but it affected it equally for everybody and at a time when it was equal opportunity for everybody. So no one really gained any kind of advantage. So that's absolutely true. Um, and the other the thing that's interesting about it, though, and this is true for uh, Monaco situation. It's that would be more of a first year problem you'd expect. You know, what's interesting is they've they've run this race three times already without this issue and this became a new issue again. So I was a little surprised at that. But in Monaco they've run since, you know, the nineteen hundreds. Right. And yet that you know, drain covers. Things come up. So <laughs> ah pun intended, I suppose. It wasn't, but now it is. <laughs> so uh that happened but uh you know uh, Lewis Hamilton managed to squeak out a fast lap in free practice one, but after that it was Red Bull again. Hamilton uh, Vettel was fast free practice two, Weber was facti- fastest for the third practice, and that was about it. But qualifying, so so Weber was actually faster than Vettel in practice session. Did he parlay that into qualifying performance? No, oh, not even close actually. So the interesting thing about uh, qualifying was the way the teams kind of paired themselves up. Uh, we saw that in Q1, where uh, Daniel Ricciardo and, v- v- and Tanelio Liuzzi were together in 23rd and 24th. With um, Ricciardo ahead, by the way. With Ricciardo ahead, by the way. But that was because of Antonio Liuzzi's five-grid penalty. Oh, wait. No, it wasn't. No, He started wasn't. last. He was last. <laughs> and so and he's still last. So he would have started 29th if it had been right. properly penalized. So the Virgins were right next to each other. Glock ahead of Ambrojo, D'Ambrojo. And then uh, Heike Kovalainen ahead of Truly um, in the Lotuses. Although I do want to point out, since Truly has gotten his new power steering, it has been quite a bit closer. So for whatever reason, that does actually the feeling affect him. In the front of the car. Yes. The feeling. Exactly. The car, the front of it's like a beautiful woman. Anyway. Um, so the, the odd man out of the non-new teams was Vitaly Petrov. That was something I didn't fully understand. The Renault had to use an old car, an old, con- an old configuration of the car for some reason. Yeah, they tried some new parts, and they th- it was new, like, radiator and so on. And, uh, and they tried it, and it was worse, and they went back to the old stuff um, so that it was just didn't quite work with, I guess, the way the aerodynamics were, the, the, the packaging around the outside. The, the radiators weren't – I don't know if it wasn't fitting right. I mean, that seems like such a silly problem that, of course, right. these things would have been designed to fit together, but – that something unexpected happened about it, and either that it just didn't couldn't come together to a place that they uh, were happy with, or they may have actually run it and found it to be slower. But um, it, yeah, Petrov said there wasn't really a mistake or any particular problem. It's just like he's like this, this track is is, tr- is tough, you know, and you know I was just getting what I could out of the car, and that was just all we had. You know, it wasn't that it was specifically traffic or anything in particular that that uh, got him out there, but it was disappointing, especially because we've seen some, uh, we've seen some really good qualifying out of Senna lately, but even earlier in the year, you know, Petrov doing quite yep. well and, and being on the podium at one point. The last couple of races, Renault seemed to turn, turn a corner and be a little bit more solid again, or more solid towards the front mid, mid-pack team again. And uh, Senna did manage to squeak a little bit more out of the car, 
than Petrov did, but still that only lotted him 15th spot on the grid instead of 18th. So it's a shame. So on the bright side, um, kind of brushing through Q2, um, in Q3, both Force Indias made it into Q3, which was um, impressive. And that meant neither of the STRs did, but uh, both both Force Indias were there, both Mercedes were there, and of course the big three teams, they well, were all there as well. They were there in that they their their times were good enough to to make it through to that session, but they weren't there in the fact that they didn't turn any laps. Right. Uh, they all decided it wasn't worth using the tires and potentially risking the car and so on to actually set any lap time. So eighth, ninth, and tenth, they were just happy to be there and would stay there. However, uh, Michael Schumacher's eighth was a mistake. They they did send him out to do a lap, but they did so too late, and he didn't get across the checkered. Uh, he didn't get across the line, the start finish line. Before the checkered flag flew, and so he couldn't get a lap in. Uh, Rosberg did, however, and he was the slowest of the people that did actually turn a lap. But that was still uh, netted him seventh, since three people didn't even do a lap. And the other uh, kind of mistake was uh, with Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, the, the the time zones must mess with people. The fact that it's a night race because there were people showing up to the track too early, which actually initially involved, uh, you know, the FIA said, oh, that's that's we're breaking the curfew. You're not allowed to do that. But then they went back on that. But then, yeah, we had this rare timing error for somebody, you know, a team like, like Schumacher around his team and Ross Brown, all these guys. I mean, for them to send a car out so it can't make it around the, you know, make it around a racetrack at a specified time seems like such a simple thing for them to accomplish. But then and, also... And they've something they've done all season. Right. And for years and years, yeah. you know. Uh, and... And then, but also for Lewis Hamilton and McLaren specifically to, uh, you know, not get Hamilton out, it was it was sort of weird in the pits. Uh, so that we looked at. So his... to be clear, though, they did Hamilton get it did get a time early on in Q three session, but right. they were going to go run and uh, run a second time. So they put him, yeah, back into the garage, and he's you know nose out, sort of ready to ready to get out, and they've got a screen on so he can look at everything. And we right around the time when the other cars were going back out on track, looked into the garage to sort of see, hey, is Hamilton going to go back out, or is it, are they going to save the car and whatever, and. There wasn't. It wasn't frantic. It wasn't like people were running around trying to accomplish something. Or if they if they were, we couldn't see it. Uh, they, they couldn't happen. And but it just kind of was like, oh, uh, he's taking his gloves off, and now we've got no time. And I guess they're not going to go. It was sort of this anti-climax. And we later found out they were refueling problems. Like they couldn't get enough fuel in the car, which seems like a totally a odd. strange problem to have. Completely. That totally there's not odd. some simple way of getting fuel in the car, or if they're what rig failed or person wasn't there or whatever happened, you know, for McLaren of all the teams to sort of drill these things and get these things right. Uh, you know, it wasn't Lewis's fault. I don't think they could, could really be put on the driver in any way, but, Oh no, I think um, you can put, yeah, it was Lewis's fault. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think he actually got a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. Uh, but you know, the, the point was, you know, that he didn't get out to do a second faster run. So his time, which I think he was provisionally second at the time, ended up moving him back to fourth. And, uh, and that was basically, you know, where he ended up starting. Yeah, but, that's right. Uh, and also Vettel had, had put in a fast time early in the session and that turned out to be fast enough to get, you know, keep him at pole position. No one else could come out and, uh, you know, there were uh, Weber and Button, and like I say, Schumacher tried to and, and couldn't, but then the Ferraris were out there, and they couldn't uh, couldn't get a faster time. No, however, uh, Jensen Button did uh, get out ahead of his teammate. He out-qualified uh, Hamilton. How much of that was the fact that Hamilton couldn't, couldn't go out again uh, can't be said, um, but he did just barely squeak by. He had a 44.804 and supposed to a 44.809, so five thousandths of a second faster than his teammate. And one thing that was just fun, it doesn't really mean anything, is that Red Bull Renault qualified 1-2, McLaren Mercedes 3-4, uh, 
Ferrari uh, 5.6. Uh, Nico and Michael for Mercedes 7th, 8th, and uh, the Force India's ninth and 10th. So that was just fun pairing of yeah. the teams all Which, the way down through 5th. Uh, so looking at the start, row. when we were trying to sort of, you know, looking at the start of the race, it's all, you know, cars by cars, and it's looking, okay, well, wait, who was on the inside yeah, there? Exactly. And like, which is on the left there is this guy. So it made it, uh, made it a little bit trickier to follow just exactly what was going on. We had to look at, the, you know, the camera colors and all that and remember who's, who's number one driver in each of the teams. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, although I guess moving on to the start of the race, um, I mean, well, so well, to, to, to finish close qualifying, it out, yeah. yeah, Vettel again owned qualifying, several tenths up on his teammate who was the second fastest, pretty darn close to a half second ahead of Button who was the fastest non Red Bull. So, you know, the pressure of the championship, I think it's affecting his his person. He doesn't seem he seems a little bit more solemn, but it's not affecting his performance. Yeah, I mean, Red Bull owned qualifying and Sebastian Vettel just, you know, owned Mark Webber, I guess you could say. So it was just another dominating qualifying performance. And uh, they, so Red Bull is still perfect in qualifying. They have had pole position every race this year, and only two of those have been Mark Webber. Yeah. So it's, I mean, Vettel just incredible. So he's starting to, you know, just this year alone, getting on all these, um, on the radars of kind of, wait, how many poles in one season can one person have? And how, who's, who else has done that? And what's, you know, what's the deal? He's starting to sort of get up into the, into the record books already. And the current record is 14 with Nigel Mansell. And there's a very reasonable chance that he can break it. Yeah. We've got five races to go in the season. And I think there is a very real chance Sebastian Vettel will get pole on four of those, if not all five, the way things have gone. So uh, yeah, that seems like, and even uh, if it's only three, Still tying a very impressive record, and I'm pretty sure it was 1992 when Mansell won his championship, and that was a very dominant Williams Renault that he was in when he when he did that. So, uh, a lot of parallels actually. Uh, if I'm correct, I do believe that was a Newey designed car. Even I, I'd have to double check. I don't know exactly when Newey was at Williams. To be honest, if it was a dominant car, it was probably a Newey design, though. Very possible. So, race start. Um, just to, to, to switch gears into Sunday. Um, Speaking of switching gears. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, whose race start do you want to start with? I kind of want to start with Weber's. Me myself. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we, we've, we've talked about on the show before, you know, Weber's just consistently lackluster starts where he's, you know, even when he, almost especially when he qualifies well, yes. um, ends up just kind of bogging the car or something off the line. It just, something doesn't click for him at the start that should. And, you know, Vettel usually does like fine. the clutch. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, what was interesting, it, too, it was ironic, was, you know, Speed, this time around, happened to have a conversation about the starts and the procedure of the starts and what is involved in a race start in an F1 car. Mm-hmm. And it's how quite complicated there's multiple clutches involved and all these special settings and dials that the drivers fit in. And how and many burnouts they have to do to get the tires to the right which, temperature. of course, that isn't just do some burnouts to warm up the tires. Of course, that's a very calculated, very specific thing. Yeah. And so, very, it, so I guess in a way it was like, okay, so it's not just that Weber's totally daft, but... Every other driver seems to be able, for the most part, to get away just fine. So in some, a way, he is some, still... Yeah, it's not like the Ferraris tend to get away really well. And, you know, some guys do even even better on top of that. Yeah, so it's, you know, a combination of, yeah, dropping those, the two clutches, which I didn't know was the case. Yeah, There's a clutch map, which I didn't realize you could map the 
clutch, you know, the disengagement of it and the speeds yeah. and the whatever. So there's the mapping involved. There's, of course, the differential settings, which I, which I did know a bit more about. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, once you get up to speed, um, then you've got, you know, you've got to hit the, hit the uh, curves to start getting, getting that going. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot to it. Um, but in, in, in that section, they didn't interview Weber. Um, and we were kind of half expecting them to cut to Weber and he goes, wait, there's two clutches. Exactly. <laughs> so as we're saying yet again, uh, like, like we mentioned, you know, Weber is on outside pole, second position, nobody in front of him, you know, if he can make a good start, you can just really get a good solid start to the race. Maybe he, even challenge Vettel. And he didn't, it was yet another Weber start. Yes. Um, and, and by turn one, Button was second. Weber was third. Beh- Weber was fourth behind Alonzo in third so yeah just and what was funny about it it was not a bad start by weber's standards it was an improvement yeah losing two spots is actually not bad by weber's standards and he only actually lost one spot on the start specifically and he lost another one kind of with the track position he chose yeah he chose to kind of defend against hamilton who was in fourth and that opened the door for Alonso. Yeah, I think the big loser at the start, in my mind, was Lewis Hamilton because he was, you know, trying. He he got a better start than Weber, as did most of the field, and was just trying to sort of work his way around him. But Weber decided to to kind of defend against that, like you mentioned. Yes. Um, and it just meant that Hamilton, and it didn't wasn't tragic, but it just meant he had to back out a little bit early. And with all the traffic, and people were going too wide, three wide, um, and even like Rosberg had to go around on a chicane. I mean, it was you know a little bit a little bit nuts at the start. It was clean, but it was just a lot of cars coming through there. Um, that Hamilton lost out big, and he ended up back in like eighth spot or something. You know, yeah, by, by the absolutely. time it cycled yep. through, um, it was it was just unfortunate for him uh, to to have have been behind there. And I can't help but think, you know, if he had been where Button was, if he had been able to get out, you know, his refueling rig or whatever hadn't hadn't been an issue, and he if he were able, like he wasn't going to challenge Vettel for the pole position. I don't think anyone thinks that. But if he were to start in third and not have been behind Weber, I'm sure he was, you know, in his mind like. Ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> that fuel rig or just people or whatever, just thinking like, ah, you know, it starts all screwed up and that's going to, you know, set them all off just on a negative path for the race. And no. It, and it kind of did. <laughs> well, so to get back to the start of the race, Vettel's launch was flawless and he was basically pulling about a second a lap and we were looking at it and eight seconds in, this what was really amazing to me. It wasn't that he was eight seconds ahead of Button, which is impressive. It's that he was 60 seconds ahead of Liuzzi. And to be clear, it says eight laps into the race. Eight laps into the race. It was just shocking. But Vettel had control of this race from green to checkered flag. So, I mean, we can, we can start and end Vettel's performance right there. I mean, he was flawless. He was faster than everybody. He had full control of the race. Yeah. There was one point in the closing stages where Button was gaining some time, but that was mostly because Vettel was slowed down by traffic, and then when Button had to go through that same traffic, it slowed him back down, and I think if it had come down to it, Vettel could have stepped up his pace as as much as he needed to. Probably. You know, there were some concerns at the very end, um, just about you know whether whether Red Bull would have had enough fuel in the car if, if they would have had to back off or whatever, but the fact that, you know, Vettel literally never was out of the lead. I mean, the only times he pitted, the guy's second place pitted as well. Yeah. It never moved him back farther away. Well, um, and Button, no, he Button did lose second place once, but actually, Button was was actually in very strong contention as well. One of the pit stops, he ended up third, but Button was controlling second pretty much the entire race as well. Yeah, according to the live timing, yeah, Button once he once he got around Weber was in second place for the entirety of the race. Um, but the fact that the Red Bull was able to bring home the car. Of course, it was it was brilliant in qualifying. It was brilliant. You know, Vettel controlled the race. And if they were getting worried about fuel at the very, very end of the race, 
I mean, that means they got it just right in yeah. my in my mind. I mean, they have, there was, uh, and that's an if we don't even know if they were concerned about fuel. I don't think it was ever officially stated. Yes, we were worried about fuel. Right. I think it was just one of the theories of why they might be slowing down a little bit. Yeah, and it could also be just as much that it could also have been Vettel saying. I don't need to go any faster than this. There's no need to risk it at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Singapore, after all, is notoriously bumpy and you know a bit volatile. So you know, when you have a cushion and the race is winding down, you know, letting that cushion deflate a little bit isn't necessarily a bad strategy. So uh, yeah, so it seems like just another textbook just race from Red Bull and from Sebastian Vettel. And, you know, in some ways about as boring as reading a textbook as well, you know, because there was, there's nothing to it. The one exception for Vettel's case was uh, Heike Kovalainen. Yeah, he almost got blindsided by a Lotus in the pit lane. Um, but it was, I think, it was weird because Vettel almost didn't react because they may have been sort of just behind his drive, like his, his eye line and stuff. I may not have really seen uh, seen the car coming, but it was like as soon as... I think Vettel reacted. I'm pretty sure as soon as uh, as soon as Kovalainen sort of realized what was going on, he sort of backed off of it and, was in, and, yeah. and let him through. But um, and uh, just to close that out, uh, uh, Lotus did end up getting a seventy five hundred. No, one was seventy five hundred. One was a. I think that was se- ten thousand euros. Ten thousand euro penalty for an unsafe release. I remember back in the good old days when those penalties used to come in dollars, but not anymore. Nope, nope, it's euros. Which means probably it'll soon be dollars again because I don't think euros are working so well. But <laughs> but uh, this is not a political geopolitical show. It's not. Uh, I want to talk about Hamilton though because so the Vettel so Vettel's performance start to finish first place incredible. Button's performance was get into get into second at the very beginning and and hang on and and did a considering uh, considering the machinery Button was in I think Button's performance was almost as good as Vettel's. You can't say it was as good because Vettel was flawless, but. Button was extremely strong and had a very comfortable second place as a result. Yeah. Uh, so so Hamilton, though, um, you know, like we say, he lost out at the start big time. And then he was looking properly racy. I mean, making good moves on Schumacher, of all the people to be stuck behind yep. in a tricky st- circuit to pass. You Did know, not Schumacher, stay stuck. He DRS'd his way around. He made his, made his work, uh, made, made his way around there. Um, and, you know, it made his way, I think, was uh, past Rosberg as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, then, then I think Alonso went into the pits at that point, but, uh, you know, he, but, uh, Hamilton was, was working his way up and actually, you know, he was sort of, you know, frustrated with uh, the situation, but then, um, you know, of, of starting poorly, but then, you know, was able to just look properly racy. And I think you as, as a, uh, making fun of me a little bit, were like, Oh, he's passing like button today. <laughs> <laughs> Cause of course this, this is the Hamilton that we want to see, right? Yep. Not the sort of the frustrated defensive on the back foot kind of, but just getting out there and making passes where it's tough to make passes and trying things and making them work. But then he, he came up on another driver. I forget the guy's name. It's just, it's, 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 it's one of his good friends. Yeah. Close friend. Philip, I think. A no, Latin. Felipe. Yes. Yeah. Felipe Massa. And what happened, Jim? What, what, <laughs> what would you say happened there? Um, what could be called a racing incident by some could be called avoidable contact by others. Uh, could but, be called that bloody blasted idiot. Boned me again. What a blasted idiot. I hate that guy. Could be that. Move. Could be that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was um, in, in sort of trying to get around. And, of course, there's all these lots of, like, little left, right, left kind of chicanes and, and lots of sort of the, the Singapore sling, they call it, which, of course, is a name that we <laughs> really aren't excited about at all. Um, oh, I'm excited about there's, it. Well, there's lots of times where you can get really, really close Stirs to a guy. my Singapore sling. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but... 
several places you can get really, really close to someone behind and sort of, and then it's a little bit dicey about, do I go out on one side of him to, to make a pass on this way? But if I stay where I am, then maybe I can set up a pass for the next part of it. Like it's sort of, it's not just a simple, this is right hand corner and here's where the guy's going to be. And here's where you should be to be aggressive. Um, but as it happened, um, you know, Hamilton came right up behind Massa and, and, you know, without sort of reviewing from an overhead, it's a little bit tough to say exactly what, what you know, who moved over on whom or whatever, but um, ended up plowing into the back uh, rear tire of, of Massa's car. At so, the end of the day, it was it was Hamilton's front on Massa's rear. Yes, so sort of into Massa's rear because it was the, the end plate of, his, of, of Hamilton's wing, and it did break off, but it cut down Massa's tire. So the good news, if there is any, um, for Massa is that this was right when he was sort of about to pit for fuel anyway. So it wasn't that he had just come out of the pits and then had to go back into the pits. Yes. Um, but but the, the bad news is it was Lewis Hamilton getting into drama with him again, which right. is the last thing that he wants, especially even after unqualifying. We didn't mention this, but, you know, when they started out on Q3, uh, there was there was sort of a schmozzle between the two of them anyway. Hamilton sort of trying to make this right. kind of aggressive pass before they were even on their the, time In laps, qualifying, in qualifying they all kind of came out in this group, and uh, both McLarens and both Ferraris, and... Hamilton was at the tail end of the group, and ahead of Hamilton was Massa. And Hamilton kind of forced his way around Massa in the outlap, during the outlap. So when it came time for that first timed run, uh, Hamilton was ahead of Massa. And in some ways, you can understand why he would want to be ahead of Massa, because he did, in fact, turn a lap that was a fair bit faster than Massa's. But it was also a very much a dick move, and he could have also just as easily backed off a bit, um, which is the standard protocol um, in that situation to just back off a bit and, uh, you know, just give yourself do some your space. Lap. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually ran into, I actually ran into a very similar circumstance when I was racing in um, Skip Barber, where this one kid was behind me racing and he was pissed at me because I wasn't passing him. And the Skip Barber qualifying was half an hour open session. Yeah. And uh, so, he was faster than I was. He absolutely was. But he was behind me, and I was doing my qualifying laps. I was focused on doing my qualifying mm-hmm. laps, and that was that. And it's not like there was a big train behind me or anything like that. And he was right behind me for like four laps. And then at the end of the checkered flag, he flicked me off and all this thing. He was all pissed at me. And then he came up. I'm like, dude, whatever. I was doing my laps. You were doing your laps. He's like, why didn't you let me by? I'm like, I wasn't paying attention to you at all. And uh, it's like, if you wanted space, you should... Slow yeah. down. I, you could have let me by, and it wouldn't have hurt you. I was like, you could have also slowed down and done three laps you know, ahead of me. It would have been one slow down on one straight, and you would have been fine for the rest of the session. Yeah. And 20 minutes later, we talked again. We shook hands. It was, uh, what was funny was uh, the guy's dad kept coming up to me. He's like, well, I just don't get why he wouldn't let me by. Totally digressing here, but my point is, is that – there is there is kind of and there's no rules, but there's kind of an unspoken protocol of like this is the right way to put in a qualifying lap. And I would say that uh, if you were to replace Massa as me and this other guy that I drove with as Hamilton, Hamilton, you know, was forcing his way by when he didn't need to be. Yeah, it's sort of a question of is this a problem I can solve myself or not? And if it is, then I should just solve it myself. Like if you're in a race and you're, you know, behind lap traffic, which we'll have plenty to talk about that later, um, you know, you can't 
just magically put yourself in front of you know you don't want to back off you're in a race there's, there's you know you can't solve that problem yourself so it's up to the person in front of you to let you buy but in a qualifying session like an open session like you're talking about you know and and like q3 was here and this was still at the beginning of the session so this wasn't to the point where seconds sort of counted you know where it was exactly who's going to cross the line last this was at the beginning of the session they still had probably seven eight minutes to go or right in the very beginning good with uh almost a full 10 minutes uh, where there's really no reason Hamilton couldn't have solved the problem on his own by just backing off some and whatever. But I guess if everyone is trying to, to uh, you know, time the session, right, so that they, they can be the last one to cross the line at the very end, everyone's right. sort of but using it was, the thing. But like, it wasn't that. It yeah. really wasn't. And it was it was beginning of Q3, and it was those four cars in a group together, and there was only out of 10 cars total, three of the cars never went out on the track at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was just a lot of... It's like, why should this have happened Totally unnecessary... Hamilton was the aggressor. So just the day before, there was this transgression. Probably weren't super happy with each other already. And then this accident happens. Yeah. So, you know, the, so um, they both have to go into the pits. Massa to just, you know, gets, gets new tires and whatever. That wasn't, it, it must have slowed him down on his in-lap for sure. Yes. To have a, the cut tire, but it uh, wasn't really disastrous. But uh, with Hamilton, um, you know, he needed a new, a new wing and, uh, you know, it put him back. So he went from... Uh, actually being in like, I think he was in fifth, at, fifth to at, 19th. I mean, yeah, way, way back Yeah, in the, uh, and then, you know, with the way pit stops and stuff cycled through it actually, you know, uh, was able to, to just, you know, again, we saw nice racy moves on track. I mean, DRS helped and, uh, just, you know, Hamilton just doing his thing through the, through the field. Um, but Hamilton as a result had to get two pit stops, uh, in pretty quick succession. That's why he went from fifth to 19th because he had to get those wing replaced and then just, I think the next lap had um, a drive-through penalty for an avoidable accident. Yeah. Yeah. And Massa had to go in for that punctured tire. But like you said, at least it wasn't a fresh set of tires that he had to go get replaced. He was due for a pit stop soon. I'm sure it still slowed him down plenty to be on a punctured tire for half a lap. But Yeah, it certainly will have. And Hamilton was able to go on and finish fifth spot. I mean, he had one more pit stop in there. That's like on the back. But uh, considering... The, the the bit of the luck with the way the timing worked out. I mean, considering like we mentioned, four trips to the pit lane and the you know being back in fifteenth spot and in a place that's this hard to pass and so on. I think that's you know the best that Hamilton Hamilton can hope to have uh, to have achieved today. And and you know you can't be that upset with uh, with everything that happened. I mean, it seems like we're you know we're kind of getting back to that desperate Lewis where right. something goes wrong and all of a sudden that's the you know this team is terrible at everything. I mean, he got on the radio at one point and was like, I need you guys to tell me information. You need to tell me what the heck I'm doing and who right. I'm passing, what's my position. Like, just kind of a frustrated, like, I just want to yell at you guys, but without being a complete dick about it, I just kind of want to, like, you know, voice my frustration. And they kind of, and so they just sort of duly got on the radio and said, okay, here's your position here. You know, here's answering all the questions you asked. And like, all right, guys, come on, like, just calm down here and, and do it. So, yeah, so it ended up being sort of a disastrous beginning, but then disaster recovery kicked in and was able to do well. And um, I mean, clearly Hamilton is still a fabulous driver, but clearly he still gives himself a lot more work to do than he needs to do, you know, and it starts by pissing off the other drivers. That's part of it. And it also is just he seems to have still an inability to think long term. He's so passionate and in the now with his driving that I think if, I think it just if he just paced himself that slightest little bit you know I it's just it's hard to put your finger on because you know it it the things 
that make him great are the things that cause him trouble, right? Because sometimes he makes these amazing passes, and we're like, that's the Hamilton we love. But that is just and like one degree off from yeah. the tor- horrible disaster. We say, Hamilton, what are you thinking? You and know what I mean? Sometimes he drives into the pit lane in, in Shanghai when it's wet out and makes it into the pits. And that's what we <laughs> love about him. But sometimes he doesn't. I mean, you know, when you look at a driver who's had, um, you know, could have won the world championship in his rookie year if only, if, you know, if it weren't for just a few little things. Or, if, you know, could have won it again more recently if it weren't for a few little things. Like, yeah. you could say that about a lot of things. And I guess it's easy for us to look at that in hindsight and knowing what worked and what didn't. Right. But... You know, other drivers, of course, are able to to put that together and uh, and and have it work. So yeah, it's it's disappointing to kind of see it uh, go down that way. But at the end of the day, he wasn't he didn't uh, hit the curbs too hard and spin off into the wall in frustration or anything like that. I mean, that's what you can say because he was collected enough to still drive a smart enough race to you know come home fifth and it's, and still it's, salvage some points. Absolutely, yeah, it's points and so on. So you know. Um, you know, in contrast to Jensen Button having just a nice cruise in second place the entire time. Boy, and, and I doing am well. glad you mentioned that because I wanted to bring up a point, which is yeah. when we had our mid-season review. Yeah. And I was saying, I was making the argument that I thought Jensen and Hamilton were doing an equally good job. And you said, no, Hamilton's doing better because he scored more points. Yeah. Now Button scored more points, so he's doing a better job. <laughs> I, I I think especially... Part of it is luck for me because... What are you saying? That makes you a better person than yes. me? Yes. Okay. Well, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> so, but part of it is Jensen's come on and he's been really strong. Uh, so it's not entirely fair because Jensen's performance has improved. But I, I, I do... That's just only because I couldn't get enough fuel into Hamilton's car. Well, it's, you know, it's not really... It's, but Button only out-qualifies Hamilton when, it, you know, when Hamilton can't go out on a second run. I mean, but so... the real problem is there is tending to be like what seems to be a genuine inertia shift because there also seems to be just on a somewhat regular basis, outbursts from Hamilton against his team publicly. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And why would you ever do that? Ever, 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 ever. I mean, if you're on the verge of quitting, like, okay, this is my advice to any Formula One driver that listens to this show. Yeah. Talking bad about your team is about asking a woman if she's pregnant. Don't do it. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever. Just don't do it. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's the 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 possibility the possibility of good outcome is far far outweighed by, by the, the possibility, possibility of a yes, bad outcome. Exactly. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Just don't do it because if you have a if you have a quip with the team, you have a quip. But you know, so Hamilton goes out and says the qualifying mistake shouldn't happen. McLaren should be better than that. We can't have any more mistakes this year. And then he goes and knocks the front wing off the car and gets a penalty as a result. The team's kind of like, well, you know, maybe start making some mistakes. Yeah, maybe you know what I mean. You didn't drive your car into another car. That would also be a benefit. That would also help. And at the exact same time, Button keeps his nose clean. He praises the team constantly. He talks about wanting to have a long-term contract with McLaren because he he's such a love fest there. I mean, that kind of thing can be not just a race here or there, but a genuine momentum shift that kind of makes Button look freaking spectacular and makes everyone at McLaren love him. There's always been, already been reports that they kind of build the car around Button because he's just way more sensitive and can give so much more feedback than Hamilton can. I, so you love Jensen Button still, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> I, I get it. But uh, no, seriously, though. I mean, do you, you see what I'm seeing, right? Uh, yeah. am I, or am I the only one? Am I glossed over with, 
with hearts in my eyes at this point. With man love for Jensen Button. <laughs> it's a bromance, okay? Between him it's and different. Martin Whitmarsh, you must get really excited when McLaren comes on TV. When huh? the two of them are together? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, we mentioned uh, that there was a safety car period, although we did not yet say why. Uh, that's true. And there was, so there just... There was some drama. I mean, there were there were some passes and so on in the race, not in the not in the higher, you know, first and second spot like we mentioned, but lower down in the field, there was quite a bit of action, um, including several like three and four car trains uh, of for position um, with with everyone, you know, just trying to battle it out and and with um, you know using curs and durs, but when everyone's got durs, it cancels each other out and yes. to uh, yes. you know the, the you know opening the rear wing just doesn't doesn't help you a whole lot when the guy in front of you's rear wing is open as well. But in the midst of that. Um, we had Saubers and uh, and and Mercedes. Um, so with um, Rosberg and Schumacher and Perez all kind of running together, um, I won't go through the whole thing because I'm not clear on exactly you know, without without reviewing it exactly who passed whom at what point. But um, you know Rosberg ran wide, which let him you know lost him some time, and then Sauber got around and Schumacher did. But um, it ended up with Michael Schumacher coming up behind Sergio Perez, um, and there's a couple of corners and sort of you know getting closer and closer and. Uh, sort of like we mentioned with, uh, you know, with the start where, um, or just kind of with, you know, there's only a couple of ways you can really get around a couple of these complexes where it's not a clear, do you go left of him? Do you go right of him? Um, in that same vein, Schumacher just got really, really close to Sergio mm-hmm. Perez in front of him. Right. Um, and then, you know, as he said, uh, was about to dart around him one way or the other. Um, you know, Perez let up on the gas earlier than uh, than Schumacher anticipated, and it just sent Schumacher's car just right into the back of uh, of Perez's. It just kind of bounced off the tire, and, and it was enough to, um, you know, it was a wheel to wheel kind of contact. So it bounced the uh, the front end of of the Mercedes up, you know, way high in the air, and then it ended up sort of just you know skidding into the wall. It wasn't a crazy high speed impact or anything, but it was enough certainly to um, destroy the, the Mercedes for the day, and uh, and. You know the uh, so uh, Perez was able to continue. Um, that actually wasn't a problem there. It was just I guess the tires that hit there. He, but he did have a punctured tire, and he did have to go in for that. Yeah, but uh, that brought out the safety car of the day. It was just right about smack dab in the middle of the race, and uh, it was you know everyone was kind of counting on it, um, and there it was. Um, so it was yeah the end of the day for for Schumacher, and it's you know we don't see Michael Schumacher making these kinds of you know this kind of an error in in judgment or in timing or something like that i mean it it was sort of uncharacteristic to have uh, to have that i mean we've seen obviously you know everyone has car failures from time to time and uh, there are various various things that happen but um it was sort of an uncharacteristic um mistake in my in my you know my opinion to uh, to see Schumacher you know get out of the race like this but it uh, it, it, it was what happened it was and it was a bit of a shame too because the last couple of races Schumacher's been doing so well He's come off of two fifth-place finishes in Monza and Spa, two really strong races. He, um, he's he been uh, tighter uh, against Rosberg on qualifying. It, he's, it, it does seem like he's finally starting to get his handle around this generation of Formula One. And um, so it's been fun to watch. So it was really a shame to see. And I was uh, a little bit surprised at that he ended up getting a penalty for the incident, although... Um, just like Hamilton against Massa, Schumacher's front hit Perez's rear, and you know Perez wasn't blocking or anything like that. He has a right to lift off the throttle whenever he wants, and so it was avoidable, and it was uh, on Schumacher's side. I do think this one was pretty darn close to a simple racing incident. I, I'm, I, it seems like they're getting a little bit penalty happy whenever these kind of things happen, although it wasn't I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt like this one would have been okay for no penalty. Yeah. Um, but 
obviously Schumacher paid uh, Schumacher paid the price for it, right? You know, which is something we talked about. Is is, so, this, is so, this a move where you gain position from it? And obviously Schumacher didn't at all. Because right. <laughs> so to be clear, because I, I think what I just said was a little confusing. Schumacher didn't get a penalty, but Schumacher got reprimanded by the FIA for causing an avoidable accident. Obviously, because he was out of the race, there was no point in the penalty, and he's not going to get penalized I mean, for the next yeah, race. Yeah, they're saying don't do that again, but it's like, well, of course, if I'm going to crash right. into someone, I'm not going to do that but again. It, but he was publicly, uh, he was reprimanded by the FIA for it, saying it was his fault. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and that caused our one and only, our one and only uh, safety car. But it wasn't the only incident that should have caused a safety car, actually, because uh, at, towards the end of the race, Al Jaswari... Also, kind of did a just kind of got it wrong. Yeah, just yeah. kind of got it wrong and Power whacked the rear early. end of the tires and uh, caused an incident there. But they just they kept it local to go. Yellow. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so the other, the, the, I think, um, sort of key lesson from this race um, is uh, at the end of the safety car parade on the restart, uh, because this is a it is a street circuit, it is relatively narrow and all that. Um, you know, having the cars bunched back up together for a restart should be kind of the dramatic, like, okay, here's, you know, Vettel had this amazing oh, lead yeah. okay, out, over, out yep. over Button, and, um, you know, let's see that restart, and, let's, you know, it's going to be dramatic, and they're going to bunch right up. Um, but with all the lap traffic, as it was, with Vettel's ridiculous pace, you know, gaining, you know, in eight laps, gaining a minute over <laughs> over the, his, you know, the uh, last place guys, um, there were like three cars between Vettel and, and Button behind him, yep. um, and, you know, it just you know, lap traffic doing their own thing, um, and we've talked about this in the in the past. There's been there's been restarts, you know, in American racing, and of course in, in various other race series. Uh, whenever when the whole field gets bunched up, you know, you let the, the the lap guys unlap themselves, you know, get back around to the back of the field. Um, partly, it's a little bit lucky for them. It's sort of a chance for them to to you know perform well again. But more importantly they're not going to spoil the restart of the race. They're not going to be in between the first place and second right. place guys on track so that not only is it up to Vettel uh, or up to Button to, you know, catch up to Vettel and maybe make a pass on him, but he's got to pass like three other guys in between. And these are guys that they're, even if they're doing their best to get out of the way, there's only so many places they can go and so on many tight streets, you know, opportunities course, that they especially. can do. Yeah. And it's not always clear which, which is the best way um, to, to get out of the way. And, and, you know, it's just, that much more drama and that much more confusion. And it just, I mean, it must've been super frustrating for button and, and even back in, you know, later back in the field, I mean, there was just lap traffic mixed in all the way through the field and it just made after that safety car restart, um, it was just chaotic for yes. a couple of ra- for a couple of laps, and not chaotic in an "oh my god, this is so exciting" kind of way. In a chaotic, get out of the way, we want you know, and just you see, to have a fighting you chance. Know, cars, you know, like you see an HRT or a Lotus, and you're like, okay, that's probably lap traffic. Um, and but you know, like with the Saubers, with the Renault Lotuses, uh, you know, the Williams, like you're never, it's you know, it's not an obvious. Oh, that guy's lap traffic, and here's the guy coming through. I mean, there's you know, these other people were starting to be lapped at this point, and uh, and there was even a problem with with Lotus Renault with you know them telling Bruno Senna. Um, the team getting on the radio and telling him incorrect information about who was on which lap, which led him to try to do an aggressive pass where it should have been him just passing lap traffic. And that was against Perez, actually. Yeah, uh, so it, it just confusion to watch, confusion for the teams, but most of all, it meant that we didn't get the, you know, sort of the, the restart from the race that uh, that could have been exciting for the fans and, right. and you know, could have been a, a nice good test of, Okay, Vettel, you were able to put this big lead together, but what do you got now? You know, right. now you got to prove it. You know, prove it to everyone all over again. Um, so it's you know, which and and you know, slowed button down, and then even just you know, moving up through the rest of the field. Um, 
as uh, in the closing stages of the race, it was interesting to see, you know, button, button starting to, to reel in Vettel. Um, and then, and then, but then, you know, each of them would get mired in traffic and it would slow them down by so much. It's just, um, if, if they had been, uh, all shuffled around to the back of the pack at that point, it would have been at least a, delayed the time that it took for, uh, for Vettel to catch everyone up again. And it would have, you know, solved some of those problems. It yeah. just caused so much confusion. I think, I think we're both pretty big fans of just letting the lap traffic around and getting the proper starting order of the grid, uh, set it up during the yellow flag. And especially in a tight street course like this, it, it just makes sense. So, uh, completely, you know, we've said it before. We're, we're, we're preaching the same thing now. Uh, we think it should be changed, but you know, that's what it is, what it is. And it's, I, I, in this case is a very good chance that Vettel, it wouldn't have affected the results, but it would have been nice for us to see an opportunity for that. Cause you know, there were some things that ha- were happening. And it was an interesting race, but there were a lot, there were some long pauses in the middle of, in between some of this action where it was kind of just running slow. And this is a long race. It's distance wise, no longer than any of the others, except for Monaco, but because the average speed is lower and everything else, it, it, it pushes very close up against the two hour limit. And this should be maybe one of those races that is shorter because it, it is long and it, it does drag on a bit. So they might want to Monaco the race distance a little bit. Just a, just, just a little bit. To go ahead and use that. Make as it more again. Monaco-y. Yeah. I mean, I remember years ago, we'd see, you know, Hamilton somehow had like some restart magic where, you know, if he were in second place, he's, you know, sometimes could just sort of time it right with kind of getting off the last corner and, you know, passing right or, you know, right as you're going across start or finish and be willing to take a bigger chance on the colder tires and yeah, just things like that, you know, yeah. that it just made it interesting. But uh, aside from that, because, you know, there's really no racing reason, um, you know, it's not like button earned his way back to get up to Vettel. It was, you know, it was a totally separate incident involving the safety car. But if only for sort of just the confusion of, you know, the, the, the lapped traffic is probably just, you know, kind of going crazy looking in their mirrors trying to figure out, well, who's behind me? Is this a guy I'm fighting with? Is this somebody that's, that's for position? Where can I get out of the way? Which way is he going? Which way can I go? I mean, it's probably just sort of nerve-wracking and not, you know, sort of good racing for them at that point anyway. Um, but just... I mean, just the sheer, you know, confusion. I mean, and at the bigger tracks, I mean, if you're at like a, uh, you know, Barcelona or something, you know, the, the lap traffic kind of melts away at the restart and it's just on a big wide open straightaway. You've got plenty of place to go and the, the big guys can get through and, and just on, but on a street circuit it just does not work. And yeah. Um, and really though, I mean, even, even on the big tracks, even at Monza or something like that, I would still prefer if they let the lap traffic around. If they weren't myself. there at all. Yeah. yeah. I, so, uh, I, I also, if anyone disagrees with us, let us know because absolutely. I'd be curious why <laughs> <laughs> but so uh i want to also say a really good job to paul Deresta, um finishing sixth um hits his best result best race result ever and also of this year and you know that was really good points for force india he had a, just a, a strategy that really worked for him um he did a really long stint on the soft tires instead of the super soft yeah, he tires. Moved, he moved up to third spot when everyone else was taking pits and actually ran there for a long time. You know, it wasn't until like lap eighteen when he actually went into the pits and uh, and then was, you know, running in fourth for a while, but eventually Hamilton got the got the best of him and he ended up sixth. But yep. you know, so that meant sixth and eighth uh for Force India, of course, with Sutil in the lower car, but uh, which is a, a team best result and it's personal best for DeResta. I mean it's just gotta be a big uh, you know, big boost for them to uh, to get some good results there. Absolutely, and I want to, as much as it pains me to do, give a shout out to Perez for, despite being <laughs> the whipping boy for so many different people. Senna ran into him when he was actually 
uh, a lap ahead of him. Uh, the incident with Schumacher and all these different things. And, and Rosberg, too. Rosberg was quite ag- aggressive with Perez. Mm-hmm. All those things, Perez kept the car in one piece, mostly, as best as he could. And ended up, I think, collecting what was it? I think he ended up in ninth and collected two points. So a really, got, really good job for Perez to stay on it. And maybe part of it was the um, adrenaline he had from testing the Ferrari recently. Yeah, that, uh, it helped give him a boost. I think Massa got him on the very last lap because uh, yeah, Massa ended up coming ninth and Perez in tenth. Perez in tenth. So for the for the final uh, for the final lap, but compared but considering the kind of race he had, I think it was a well earned tenth. I mean, he was a lap ahead of of uh, of Kobayashi, you know. So uh, which tells you in you know in the same car, and of course Kobayashi is no slouch at making crazy passes. Nope, um, nope, absolutely not. So uh, it does. I think for me at least, what the next question that comes into my mind is the championship. It, yes, it was not clinched at Singapore. However, uh, we uh, we thought through it a little bit and we came up with this: the only way, the only way that Vettel can lose the championship at this point is well. Let's first say this: everyone is mathematically out of the drivers' championship except for Jensen Button and Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, um, the- which is funny because Fernando Alonso only has one fewer point. Than, than Jensen Button, which tells you how close, not right. how close the championship is, but how close Vettel is to yeah. clinching it, which is wild. I mean, it's been like three, four years because since even, we've had someone clinch it. Even if Vettel failed to finish, failed to score points in the next five races and Alonso won every single race, Alonso would still have fewer wins than Vettel yeah. <laughs> um, for the season and Vettel would win the tiebreaker. So Alonso's out. And Button... If Button, um, so for Vettel to not clinch next weekend, next race in yeah. Suzuka. He would first have to score no points at all. He would have to score no points for the rest of the season, or no points at all for Japan. And Button, Jensen Button would have to win the race. Yes. And it would have to, that same situation would have to play out every single time in order for Jensen Button to win the championship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So... so it's, it, it's effectively not going to happen. Keeping in mind that Sebastian Vettel's worst performance this year is a fourth place finish. Yeah, you know, not, no DNF. Almost, you know, in spite of being almost side, you know, plowed into by by a Lotus today, and so on. Yeah. You know, it's still. We were talking about that. You know, just what if after all this race and everything, if if a car just drove into him in the pits, you know, wouldn't that be a? And his luck could catch up to him. His luck could absolutely catch up to him, and he could have a couple of DNFs. But will he have those DNFs? And have Jensen Button win. For five yeah. races, yeah. It's just, it's for all intents and purposes. Because it, it, is, is, it is between him and Button. So no matter what anybody else does, it's irrelevant. Jensen Button has to be the one to win the next five races. Yeah. What is more interesting, though, is the race for second place. Because, yes. Which is, of course, Jensen Button with 185 points, Alonzo with 184 Weber with 182. That Wait, that doesn't sound right. Jensen Button should be way farther than that. I'm looking at Formula1.com. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about looks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was, I was talking about 17's poll for good. No. Uh, all right. What are you talking Wrong about? Wrong poll. Sorry. Jensen's dreamy. Wow. Okay, man love. <laughs> As I was saying, um, and then Lewis Hamilton has, is sort of the outside man now with only 168 points. So it's like this, you know, 182, 184, 185, 168. Still within one race win. But it's not a wide yeah, margin so, at Yeah, so I mean, all. and with five races to go, that's, you know, there's still a lot to be determined there in terms of, who, you know, and that's still anybody's game there. And then Massa with 84 points. It's a Unlike pretty, the good-looking championship. It is, 
yeah, Massa has exactly half of Lewis Hamilton's points, which is just kind of wild at this point. And another year. figure I really like is that Massa has 100 points exactly less than Alonso. Yeah. So, but it has to be said that Weber has what 130 points less than Vettel. So uh, actually, Massa is not the does not have the worst points discrepancy between teammates. Has to be said. It has been said now. Now it has been said. So second place, uh, yeah, it's def- you know it's, it's going to be one of those four guys. I mean, you know, Massa is not going to win everything between now and then. Have the rest of those guys fail and so on. So that that's sort of uh, been decided. And then of course it goes down to the Mercedes, and you know who's going to be ahead there. And th- those guys are all pretty close. Um, it's worth mentioning, you know, still um, in all of their second years in the sport, still no point, not one single point for uh, Lotus Renault, HRT. Oh, and, and Marussia Virgin. Yeah. Um, so still with those six cars, you know, you think at some point, and certainly in the age of um, more engine failures, like we used to have with the V10s and the higher revving and the, you know, just the non-engine freeze, I guess, you know, you you know, even the, you know, the, you know, when the STRs and the minorities before that and so on were, you know, they would get points every once in a while. They'd kind of get lucky. There'd a bunch of people would be out of a race right. and, you yep. know, you'd get a point here or there. Well, and with, uh, Mark Weber you know, in a minority, fifth place in Australia, for example. Right. And that was back when you only got points to sixth. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, with points to 10th, you'd really think that one of those teams, you know, one out of six cars in, in almost two years of racing. But those cars have gotten so reliable. You know, the, the failures are so much less common. The engines are, you know, I, you don't want to say it, but fairly bulletproof. And well, it, yeah, it was cool to see flames shooting out of the back of the car and like little pieces and stuff when we, we had spectacular engine failures and it kind of upset the results sometime, uh, especially in the age of sort of environmental efficiency and, you know, being green and things like that. Having, Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say the age of Aquarius and I would have disagreed. Yeah, but that's not what I said. <laughs> oh, right. So it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't make sense to have, yeah, the, the engines quite, you know, exploding like they were. And it does, you know, I, I do kind of miss just being on the bleeding edge of innovation in tires and in engines, uh, where and, and even electronics, you know that those things are. But we uh, just can't afford it anymore. Yeah, it's I guess. But you know, hey, the racing the racing's been good. Obviously, not as close of a championship this year as it's been in previous years when uh, you know all the different working groups working to improve overtaking, improve the show, and that whole thing. Which is honestly okay with me because you, you if you got it, if you had it every year, you'd get used to it. You know what I mean? Like, what's great about those really close championships is you appreciate it when they come around. And when we had you know two in a row. Um, you know, 2007, 2008, that was awesome. And, you know, I, so I, I don't, I don't mind that I, cause I, you can look at it in awe and kind of in respect in, in with respect of like, just how incredible is it that, you know, they're accomplishing what they're accomplishing. You know what I mean? Cause what's great about this compared to the Ferrari domination era is that, they're not doing it where everyone knows that Barrichello is number two, period. It's not like that. Weber is too headstrong and really is, even if he has some disadvantages, fighting for his own fight. And you can see the difference between what Weber can accomplish and what Veto can accomplish. And it's just incredible to see that. Even with the wonky clutch they put in Weber's car so that he won't get good <laughs> clearly, starts. Clearly the wonky clutch, mm. yes. Mm. We'll have to see about that. <laughs> and we'll have to see what our fans say about all that. And, of course, it is everyone's favorite part of the show, mine, Jim's, and yours, listener feedback. And we have some on the Facebook page, which is the best place to listen to us and comment with us. We got one from Brian Hoover, who asked the question, just how bleeping fast is Button? 
bleeping fast. We got one from Fred, a possible trivia. And uh, we're just going to throw that out here right now. And if anyone knows the answer, please share. What's the lowest grid position that a driver has started to win the race? Who and win? It's a good I, question. It yeah. is a good question. I don't question. know the answer without, uh, without looking it up. I, I, I imagine it's pretty darn low, and I imagine that it probably happened a while ago. That would be my guess. Wow, really going out on a limb there, huh? <laughs> and then um, CKW uh, went on, uh, said, hey, great show. Well done. Glad you liked the audio I sent you. We loved it. And he thanked us for using it. And then he, he started asking us about Google+, Plus if we're going to have a Google+, Plus account and the short answer is no, not right away. because well, we can't right now. Google Plus is only people, and if you don't have a real name, they cancel you and all this kind right. of stuff. So until we can either come up with a person named Formula One Show or something, right. you know, whatever, we'll, we'll have to see how that, uh, how that pans out. The but. F1 Show is not a person, and it's not a corporation, and in the United States, corporations are people, but F1 Show is not that either. So not a person. Can't anyway, yeah, so those are pointed directly to F1Show.com, um, where you can always go and stop by and uh, you know, leave comments, and it's a little more organized than Facebook because there's a, an actual post for each show. So if you have comments about a particular show, you can leave them right there and see what everyone else has written. And unlike Facebook, it doesn't kind of disappear after a couple of days and get buried under the rubble. Totally. So, uh, it's, a, it's a good spot to visit. And there are also links to the Facebook page and the Twitter feed as well. And uh, speaking of the Twitter feed, we did have um, a couple things. First, we had a... Uh, uh, our F1 show uh, products being race proven yet again. Ah, I'm not even sure you knew about this yes. yet because it's on Twitter and Twitter. You're not. You're too old for Twitter. Oh, okay. Because because uh, our boy CKW was wearing it at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. So I thought you were referring to that. No, this is uh, actually from SDK0815. Oh, 0815. Yeah. Um, who says your products are proven by yet another race? Although it is not F1. This is from the. Uh, Indy IndyCar final in Japan at Twin Rings Motegi. Oh. Um, and he's he's there. He's, he posts a picture, and uh, and I, I retweeted that, so you'll know if you follow us on Twitter there. Um, but that's cool. I mean, it's our fans all over the world. That's and, so fantastic. I did well. Th- that's good because I sent one. Is is what's his name again? SDK O eight one five. Okay. Well, it, that may or may not be the person. I did send a shirt to Japan. So okay. Well, the that's probably it because the his name name is spelled out in Japanese characters that I do not know how to read. Ah, actually. Almost looks Korean. Anyway, it's well, a it's a language that I do not speak in a script that the letters I don't know. But it's anyway very cool to see our stuff all over the world and uh, and, and fans all over the place. And then when I posted that, we did uh, um, did some comments back saying, "Oh yeah, you know that you know watch the the IndyCar race and it was lame compared to F one." Uh, which I said, "Yeah, you know we're 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 not the IndyCar show for a reason." <laughs> um, and you know, ten years ago, uh, I was a much bigger Champ Car fan, which it was called at the time, than I was a Formula One fan. I really like Champ Car. I like the layout. I like the cars. I like the drivers. But yeah, I mean, for me personally, especially just with the continued wrath between the IRL and Champ Car, it finally wore me down and Formula One kind of took over for me. And then even as the unified IndyCar series has come along, it just isn't, just isn't the same. Yeah, which is too bad because there are races in our country and in our, you know, not, there used to be a couple of Detroit Grand Prix that were right in our neighborhood. And I actually went to both of those uh, as sort of just to support it because it was part of ALMS, was a cool whole thing. But And they are talking yet again and bringing it back. So, which, hopefully. which would be sweet. Um, but, you know, and part of the whole drama of the IndyCar race was, um, you know, favoritism in, 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 you know, penalties and, and sort of, you know, driver calls and things like that. And just kind of, you know, and sort of, just mismanagement and confusion and whatever. So it's just, you know, we have some of that in F1, but 
the sort of the racing is so good and the stories and the teams and the history and all that just is so much an F1's advantage that, uh, you know, I just can't get nearly as excited about watching an IndyCar race as we can about F1. And uh, and there you have it. That's why, I mean, we are the F1 show. If anything, if we weren't the F1 show, in my mind, I would I would be some sort of sports car show like Le Mans, Intercontinental Le Mans Cup or something like that because that is yeah, like yeah. my next favorite form of racing is these endurance races and uh, everything that goes into those. It just that That's the next thing that captures my uh, my imagination, I guess. Um, and uh, speaking of capturing imagination, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sean Scanlon, who had a a great question uh, for people to con- contemplate on the Facebook page. And uh, unfortunately, it is it's a little bit buried at this point. But it was the question was okay. So you're the boss of Toro Rosso, and you have to fire one of the drivers. Which one would you pick? Brilliant question quickly turned into a beauty contest of who is the prettiest driver. Totally Al Gashwari <laughs> there. I mean, that man is, that is a pretty, pretty man. Yes. And, uh, and, and, uh, this is by Iga Zenzanska. I hope I got that at least close to right. Yeah. That's definitely how she pronounces it. Whatever. And she says, I would fire Buemi. Cameras never show him, which means he's not TV worthy. And that's bad for an F1 driver. J.A. is much more fierce. And cute. And... And he's a DJ. And Neil Pop quint- quickly agreed with that and agreed with uh, Iga that he is cute and it just totally turned into the wrong conversation and ended up talking about the comparison of Jensen Button to Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay. So someone else thinks they look the same. I've been saying that for years. Well, and these are the two photos I found of them on Facebook. Dude, I know. Pretty darn... Yes. I would I would give the nod to Button over the two, of course. Well, I do think I will say because I've been to I've been to a Coldplay concert. I do believe Chris Martin is more flexible than Jensen Button. Because speaking he, of conversations taking a weird well, path, he was I he mean, was doing this like now. kicking dance and he was freaking hitting his own head. That's impressive. <laughs> and he probably sings better than Button, but whatever. And then I threw uh, Jude Law into the mix for good measure. But because other, you just think all English people look the same. Yes, actually, that's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> I wrote, because they were talking about, again, this devolved into a thing about good-looking people, so I wrote, all dashing English people look the same, I believe. Here's an example, and I put Jude Law in the mix, because they all kind of have that similar, I'm English and I'm dashing look. I was going to say Clive Owen, but I guess he looks the same, too. Clive Owen is like a more rugged version. Yeah, and he's a little older. And that adds to the ruggedness. See? So that, if, if you feel left out by not having had your voice heard in this conversation, you can fix that by going to F1show.com. Yeah. Either go onto the Facebook page, commenting on the, uh, the post there, and you, too, can help our conversations devolve into random directions. You can be a part of that, and, uh, and it's pretty great. Oh, man, look at this. This is, this is part of the same comment stream, and this is right on the border of something that should be written, uh, talked about on the show. <clears throat> Sean Scanlon writes, Glock? No. I would love to eat a taco right off Press's body. <laughs> <laughs> this and all the other high quality comments and feedback and conversations you can have on the facebook page of the f1 show <laughs> yeah it's time for predictions <laughs> trivia 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 okay you did just hear the trivia song that is true and it is a great song i think everyone agrees but we're not here to talk about trivia because we plan on having some lovely Singapore rice noodle in a little while. Yes. As this uh, Grand Prix finds itself in Singapore, 
Um, the we, city state we mentioned. It's kind of sandwiched between Thailand and Malaysia, if if I'm my geographic memory is serving me correctly. Which is a delicious combination. <laughs> Absolutely. So, in and, the spirit of that, yeah, we uh, we want to you know eat like Americans think the locals eat. <laughs> Because let's be honest, what we're getting is, as a Singapore rice noodle is probably not actually Singaporean food. But well, I think I think it was Singapore. It was somewhere. Maybe it was Malaysia. They had this. Uh, they had this dish where it's like it's an egg, but it's like a much farther along in the process of becoming hatched. Like there's like a little chicken in there, a little chickadee, and they eat that. And I think that I, was it. I, was definitely I don't in that. Eat that. You know, we're, we're not. Gonna, it was supposed to taste really good. I mean, it's, it tastes like chicken, <laughs> but like <laughs> just like a baby one. But we're we're probably going to go more for the Singapore rice noodle pad thai ish kind of that kind of area of the cuisine. Yes, but uh, it just it just adds an interesting element to it and helps us to remember because you know we, we can turn on the TV and watch a race from anywhere in the world. But I think it's kind of fun to uh, and even when it's in the U.S., it's funny how it doesn't look any different really i mean the tracks are slightly different but yeah they're the homogulated look, so much the that, look and feel of the different yeah. rices um except for uh, abu dhabi which of course is, takes place three years in the future um <laughs> but you know having you know having at least you know the food or sometimes you know learning a little bit about the country or whatever it's uh, just sort of helps to remind us like you know hey where all these people are because uh at this point anyway and for races outside the u.s and sometimes canada uh you know we don't travel to each of the venues so we don't get quite the same experience that uh, or anywhere near the same experience that all the journalists and whole teams and drivers and all the, the whole circus that moves around that they get by going to different places. So in that vein, uh, yeah, we are going to enjoy some tasty Singaporean cuisine today, and uh, we have not yet done so, but uh, we will let you know if it was amazing. Right, and the other thing we haven't done is predict, which we have to do. Yes. Whoa, what just happened there? We're actually now back from dinner. Time travel, man. It's amazing. Yes. And so was the Singapore rice noodle. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, it, we had a tasty, uh, tasty Singaporean dish, and I got to say, it was legit. It was like a curry kind of flavor, and chicken, and all kinds of random stuff in it, and uh, some tea. And I feel like a proper Singaporean dinner eater. Yeah, it reminded me of you know late nights, bright lights, fast cars. It was it was pretty fantastic. I, I had Chinese food, but hey, that's really close too. It's close too, and I I, I tried the Singapore rice noodle. It, it was very lovely. It was a very lovely dinner. There you have it. It's so good. Now it's time for predictions. And, of course, that is a prediction song, but we are going to do predictions. <laughs> we've, uh, we've reached a point, I think. Well, you say we're going to go do predictions, but it's mostly just speaking about what's going to happen next race. Yeah. It's not much predicting anymore. There's not much clairvoyance needed. I mean, yeah, really, because at what point... You know what? What would be the point now to say? I think Button's going to win. You know. Well, shall I? Shall maybe, I maybe start with the results that we had from our last prediction? Yes. Let's see how, how we predicted and what, how we did. Okay. Well, first of all, the statistical model, being the statistical model, being stupid as it is, just says whoever's on pole last time is going to be on pole this time. Whoever won the race last time is going to win the race this time. Mm-hmm. In Italy, Vettel was on pole and Vettel won the race. So oh. stupidly, the statistical model said Vettel's going to be on pole and Vettel's going to win the race. You and I, however, were much smarter. We have complicated brain snapses that are going on and snapping and firing and doing all these crazy things. You, sir, said, I think Sebastian Vettel is going to be on pole, and mm-hmm. I think Sebastian Vettel is going to win the race. Inspired, much, inspired choices. Yeah. Much, much smarter. I, on the other hand, took a different approach and said, no, I think Sebastian Vettel is going to be on pole, and Sebastian Vettel is going to win the race. Ah, a controversial move. Turns out, crazy as it sounds, that we were all right. <laughs> you, sir... No points. You had a perfect score. Yes, you owe me a Coke. No. Oh, 
I also had scored no points, perfect score. So the statistical model owes us nothing because it also had no points and a perfect score, which means that all three of us have the exact same points we did last time, and, and we gained zero. And on predictions the model. for the rest of the season seem kind of lame because right. that comes just starting to stay. You know, Vettel's worst finish is fourth place. Okay, not to say something couldn't happen, and you know he couldn't. You know, obviously, uh, you know Korea last year when he was out of the race. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it it certainly could happen, but just but there, you can't there's, there's no reason on, to predict that. Yeah, you can't predict on could of could could happens. Yeah, anything could happen. Right. You know, it could, and, it could be the first points for an HRT or Daniel Ricardo right. could win the race. Who and knows? What do you predict on? You predict on you know, this is a strong course for the team, or this driver knows tends to really like this track, or they seem to have the momentum right now. This team does, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all of those things that I just said is. Vettel, 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 Vettel. Yeah, the car works everywhere. The team is, Japan, is always there to prepare it, you know, for them. It just, yeah. And if the if the Red Bull were to have strengths, it's strong everywhere, but it's strongest in the medium to high speed corners, which Japan has plenty of. I mean, Suzuka is all about flowing medium to high speed corners, which is a fantastic track. I love it, mm-hmm. absolutely love it. I think you feel the same way as I do. Yes. So. I mean, so predictions wise, I mean, we, we can go through the motions of saying, yes, there's really no sort of sensible reason to bet against Vettel just being the best chance of being on pole and winning the race. It would be cool to see Button have some, some more success. You know, even if he does, like we mentioned, um, it's still pretty much the de- a done deal that Vettel will win the championship. It would be cool to see Hamilton do well. It'd be cool to get to see Alonso get another win. You know, they, there's lots of permutations that could happen. But statistically, I mentioned Weber in there. I guess, you know, yeah, he, he drives too. Yes. But. Yeah, there's really no reason not to predict that, that Vettel will be the, if not winner, the closest to most reliable finishing. So, but I am not going to let myself totally off the hook here. I am going to unofficially predict that Jensen Button will, in fact, be second once again. Ooh. Well, there you go. And I think it'll be Alonzo second. So, there, so there you go. <laughs> well, we are at war once again. Cokes are on the table. Or possibly Mellow Yellows. But speaking of Japan... Um, this, as you mentioned, is episode 99. It is. Uh, the next race will be our episode 100. Wow. And I... Isn't that just... It's just hearing it makes me excited. Yes. So when I started... It's like, I thought we would have hated each other by now. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, when I, when I started this, we started naming the files and all that. I started with 001. I'm like, I'm putting two zeros in front of our, all of the file names. Because it will every, happen. Every F1 show episode ever has had three digits in the number. Yeah. Just so that when we got to this point, I wouldn't have to go and reorder anything to make the You didn't want a Y2K moment. No, that's right. I didn't want to have an an E.1K moment of episode 100 (laughs) causing us any strife. And just, you know, in sort of the engineering, lining things up mindset, it just kind of made sense to me. But anyway, we have reached episode 100. That will be our our next show. Um, We'll be, you know, covering the, uh, the Suzuka Grand Prix. Uh, and we figured what better way to do that than just kind of do something kind of crazy and something a little bit different uh, for our 100th episode. Um, Which worked out so brilliantly because what happens to be happening on the exact same day as the Japanese Grand Prix is the Bathurst 1000. Yes. The mega Australian supercar, V8 supercar race. Yes. So the time zones for this actually work out pretty pretty sweet for us because it's 7 p.m. on Saturday – our time, Eastern time in the U.S., um, is the start of the Bathurst 1000. That's like a six-hour race. Yes. Um, and then, so that'll take us into, you know, after midnight um, 
on Sunday at that point, technically. We'll still be awake from Saturday, of course. And, and then the uh, Japanese Grand Prix starts at 2 a.m. Yes. So we figured, let's do this thing live, man. Let, we are going to set up. We will have, uh, and of course, we'll have all the information and the links and everything will be right on F1show.com. But you, as all of our uh, faithful listeners and fans, will be able to join us and we'll be, we'll be sort of talking on the air and, and giving us, you know, our reflections and feedback on what's going on, which could be fun. As Listener to, feedback can happen real time yeah, throughout the show. So you guys can ask us questions. You can give us comments. You can tell us how awesome we are, how terrible we are. Um, we can, you know, get us to do different accents from different parts of the world. I don't know. Whatever is exciting oh, for you yes. To, yes. Uh, to interact with us, we'll have plenty of time to do so through the 1,000 kilometers of the Bathurst race. And then into the uh, Japanese Grand Prix, sort the of three hundred kilometers of the Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah, exactly. Calling it calling it live, as it were. So uh, I think it'll be great fun. We'll have uh, lots of chance to interact, and uh, there's going to be balloons with people. I think we talked about one of those moonwalk things to play on. Point is, it's going to be sweet, and it's I think with people totally all over sweet. the world, there should be some part of that time when it, when it makes sense for you to join us. So, well, uh, if 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 our folks in uh, Europe are willing to wake up early enough and join us, we mm-hmm. would love that. If uh, the fellow Americans out there just want to, you know, hey, make a Red Bull party, party out of it. The and... people in L.A. or anywhere on the West Coast of the U.S. really have this suite. Because... Merkin Muffley. We can, he can yeah, get a whole other lame war Call thing. us up, Merkin. Yeah, because we the, get it now. Because the bathrooms for them starts at, what, 2 p.m. And then the... Uh, no, the, 4 p.m. I, math is hard. Um, <laughs> I, oh, yeah, 7. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but uh, I was thinking the 2 a.m. ones. But then the Suzuka Grand, you know, that, that race starts at 11 p.m. and just kind of goes till just after midnight. Yep. So those people, there's no excuse for you not to be joining in our party if you're on the West Coast of the U.S. And, of course, the Aussies, I mean, they'll probably all be drunk at the Bathurst anyway. But, um, you know, they, they can join us, too, those that are not at the race, or even if they are, who knows, um, you know, be, uh, be a part of the show as well and, uh, and have a good time. So um, visit F1show.com between now and then, and we will do our very best to uh, – give you information about it as it gets forward to that. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be something a little bit different. And uh, 100 shows, man. Yeah, and I think, That's cool. I think one thing that I, I think is still kind of nigging everybody in the back of their minds, like, yeah, but we want to get you a gift for your 100th anniversary. This is kind of a big deal. Ha, we've thought of that as well. There is a website, a gift registry you could call. It's called warnermotorsports.com. You can go and you can get uh, F1 show swag, I guess we can call it, stickers and shirts. And then there's some other... Um, car enthusiast related things as well. These are race proven shirts. These are these are um, uh, Spanin proven stickers. Is that what it's called? The thing on the uh, the thing on the when you're Scottish and you wear the oh what the heck was the that? kilt the pouch the, the kilt pouch yeah I think it was called a Spanin or something. Uh, I I'm CKW. Sporin. I'm letting him down. Sporin. That sounds like a mushroom. That sounds like a bacteria that you. <laughs> it's something like that. We're the worst Scottish people ever. Yes. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, the, the, you wouldn't buy those things for us. You would buy those things for yourselves. But of course, that is how it helps benefit the show, and uh, it, you know, it's great to uh, to get support from our fans in that way. Wow. Yes. So uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of racing for us. It's going to be you know a little bit more raw, although we're plenty raw as it is probably. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We haven't done anything way outside of the norm since uh, we did the Le Mans coverage a couple years ago. So. Uh, I, I'm actually really excited about it. and But that's going to conclude this show, I do believe. Yes, and so definitely just keep in touch with us between now and next time because if you just wait for the next show to happen, you will have missed this cool live event that happens in between. Uh, and, and we just really hope uh, as many of our fans as possible can join us for that because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See you!